All right, thanks, Ryan. And let me say good morning to my friends at home, to my unmasked friends in North, and my masked friends in South. <laughs> We're glad to be together. So, this is our, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but this is our primary weekly equipping time together. In other words, the scripture says that the job description of a pastor teacher is to, Ephesians 4, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is this, love God and love Love people, love others. And so that's why Paul says to Timothy, the goal of our instruction is, is love. Not knowledge, because knowledge puffs up, but the goal of our instruction is to love others. So the desire this morning is, when you log off or when you leave the building today, that you will be equipped from the word of God to love more like God loves. All right, so I want to, that to be clear, we're not just learning, we're not just filling our minds, we're actually having our hearts shaped to be like God so that we'll do what? Love. love. Yes, you can speak through those masks. That you would be able to love others. Love God, love others. So, take the scriptures, that's what always equips us, let's take the scriptures together. Turn to Genesis 18. And as you turn to Genesis 18, we are together looking at this friendship with God because Abraham was called a friend of God and we're looking at the life of Abraham. As you turn there, Genesis 18, think about a friend. Not all your friends, just pick a friend. Maybe a person that you've been a friend with a long time, all right? You have somebody in mind? Give you a second. Think of a friend, got somebody? All right, here's probably what's true about why you are friends with them and continue to be friends with them. You found in them that you had an affinity. In other words, there was something that you liked and they liked and you started a friendship and probably continued a friendship based on those common likes, common loves. Maybe it was sports or art or that you loved the outdoors or that you loved the Lord. That friendship often is based on what? That you like, that you love something, both. Now, generally, you probably don't love everything that your friend loves. But here's about friendship with God. When it comes to friendship with God, we grow in that friendship as we increasingly love what he loves. That's how friendship with God grows. That we grow in our love for what he loves. So dovetail that with what we've said, the equipping, the teaching of the word of God is to increase, what? Love Your love for him and love for one another. So let's look together at Genesis 18, the second half, and how this passage teaches us to love. We're going to start together in verse 16. Genesis 18, 16. Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. Now pause for a moment. We're introduced to, in the opening half of Genesis 18, three men who come to visit Abraham. And he welcomes them, and they have a conversation. At first, we're not sure who they are, but as 18 unfolds, and as we begin in chapter 19, here's what we find out. 
that the three men are the Lord. One of them is the Lord and the other two are, anybody know? The other two are angels. So it sounds like the setup of a joke. Two angels, the Lord and Abraham. But it's not. It's Genesis 18. So that's, if you've wondered, who are these three guys? The Lord, two angels that go on a mission to Sodom is Genesis 19. We'll see. So the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that ends with a question mark. So at first we think the Lord is debating, deciding, trying to answer this question. Should I share? Shouldn't I share? Should I share? Shouldn't I share? Because you have friends and sometimes you share stuff with them and then other times you go, I'm not going to tell them that. Right? Okay. So it seems like the Lord's going, should I tell him? Shouldn't I tell him? But he's not debating. We know the Lord's because the rest of the chapter is going to unfold, the Lord tells him. And I don't think he's asking, should I? I think he's answering, here's why I should. Here's why I should tell Abraham what I'm about to do and not hide it. Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation. I ought to tell him because that's going to be true. And in him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I ought to tell him because that's true. And I have chosen him. I ought to tell him because... Of that's true. Uh, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing two things. Same with me. Righteousness and justice. Okay. Are you tracking with me? The Lord is not debating, should I tell him? That's not why the question mark is there. It's a question, but it's really a statement. Here's why I'm going to tell Abraham what I'm about to do in, Abra- in Sodom because I've chosen him. And in him, all the families of the earth were going to be blessed. And I want him to be able to command his children and his household in the way of the Lord in what two things? Righteousness and justice. Don't miss this. This is the intro of what the Lord is about to reveal to Abraham as his friend and not hide it from him. Righteousness and and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoke about him. And the Lord said, the outcry, so now here's, here's what he's not going to hide. The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I'll go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I'll know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. So the two men, the two angels, we'll see them in beginning 19, they go to Sodom. So this leaves Abraham there with the Lord. And here's the conversation that happens. Abraham came near and said, said to who? The Lord. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Who's he concerned about? Who's he concerned about? He's concerned. Are you going to sweep away the righteous with the wicked? In other words, I understand the wicked are going to get swept away, but the righteous with them? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not, maybe you've heard this expression before, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? 
Again, who's saying? That's Abraham to the Lord. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? The Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I'll spare the whole place on their account. Abraham replied, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, uh, although I am but dust and ashes. Uh, Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five or the lack of five? And he said, I'll not destroy it if I find 45 there. He spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I'll not do it in the count of the 40. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak. Well, you have been, yes. Suppose 30 are found there. I'll not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. I'll not destroy it in the count of the 20. Oh, may the Lord not be angry and I'll speak only this once. Well, it's actually been four times so far. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I'll not destroy it on the account of the 10. Now watch. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abraham returned to its place. Interesting conversation, right? So I don't know if you've ever read this passage or heard somebody talk about this passage, but typically when people talk about this passage, they talk about how great Abraham is in whittling God's justice down. That he was going to like wipe them out and, and Abraham talked talk to God like off the cliff. But I actually don't, and seriously, that's why most talk about Abraham like save the city because God was going to get him. And Abraham said, no, don't. And the Lord said, oh, okay. Actually, I don't think that's what's happening here at all. For a couple of reasons. Number one. As soon as Abraham had finished speaking to the Lord, he departed. No, that's not what it says. As soon as he had finished speaking to the Abraham, the Lord departed. In other words, the emphasis here is not on what Abraham said to the Lord, but on what the Lord said to Abraham. See, I think this is a totally different, and I don't want you to miss this. This is not Abraham changing God's mind. Actually, I think something dramatically different here is I think it is Abraham discovering the heart of God toward people like those who live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Say it more simply. Abraham's not changing God's mind. God is changing Abraham's heart. He is teaching him. What do he say? I'm not going to hide this to you because I want you to train your children in, what were the two words? Do you remember now? Righteousness and justice. See, this is God teaching his friend to love what what I love, says the Lord. You're my friend. I want you to love what I love. And when you look at the conversation, this is Abraham. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? In other words, I understand the wicked getting swept away because that's what they Deserve, get them, God. But really, the righteous, you're going to do that to them? That's not fair. Shall not the judge of all the earth do justly? But the Lord is 
If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within their city, then I'll spare the whole place. See, when God looked at Sodom, he saw something different than what Abraham did. Abraham looked and went, oh man, don't get the righteous. And when God looked, he said, actually, I see the righteous and the wicked there. My, my heart is not just for the righteous like yours, Abraham. My heart is for the righteous and uh, the wicked. And so when God is changing Abraham's heart, God is growing Abraham as his friend. He wants him to know, I care about the righteous and uh, the wicked. Both. Righteousness and justice. For the righteous and for the wicked. Now ask yourself again, what's the goal of our time together? Oh, yes, here. Got to bring that back. What's the goal of our time? That we would be equipped in love. This is what the Lord is doing with Abram. The Lord is equipping him to love as he loves. And he loves, he cares for the righteous and he cares for the wicked. And now, I doubt many of you spend much time in Ezekiel 33. Anybody in Ezekiel 33 this week? Yeah, probably not. I don't spend that much time in Ezekiel 33. So I actually, though I've read through the Bible multiple times, I was like, wow, I don't ever remember this verse. As I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Think about the world today. Think about the wicked of the wicked as you think of who is really wicked in our world. And ask yourself, is your heart like the Lord's that you take no pleasure in the wicked? See, this is going to be this morning, heads up, this is going to be a refining time for us to look at our own hearts and say, do I love who the Lord loves? Do I actually play, take pleasure in some wicked dying? Some of them, praise the Lord. Hmm. See, the Lord wants us to grow us in what way? In love. And this is what he's doing in Abraham. In fact, I would suggest to you, maybe this is a new thought for you. <laughs> Probably not. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, that's not new. You know that. But have you ever connected that to Ezekiel 33? No pleasure in the wicked. In fact, in their dying. In fact, I sent my son to die so that they would not have to. My heart is to grow like God's heart for the wicked. And this was a realization for me. That if God did not care about the wicked, there would never be any righteous. Okay, so if you go, oh man, I'm righteous. God, get the wicked. Understand, you would never be righteous if God did not first care about the wicked. Uh, that's straight out of Romans. Romans chapter five says, while we were still, say it, 
helpless. At the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. And then he says two verses later, while we were yet, who? We were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Two verses later, while we were enemies, who? Who were enemies? We we were helpless, we were ungodly, we were sinners, we were enemies. God sent his son. You see what I mean? Apart from God caring for the wicked, there wouldn't be any righteous. And so do I love as God loves because God loves the wicked. He sent, he gave, he sent, he gave, he sent, he gave. Is that my heart towards those who are not walking with the Lord? Is that my heart towards those in my world or those in your work that say foul things and profane things and mock Christians? Do you care for them as God cares for the wicked? He cares for all. And here is the second reality. He cares for all and he sees the true heart of every person. Did you see that in the text in Genesis 18? He knows the true heart. Make that personal. He knows the heart of every person watching at home right now. He knows where you are with him. He knows why you're at home. He knows the heart of every person on campus this morning. He knows where you are with him. He knows why you're here. He sees what you and I can't see. Genesis 18, it said, and the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great and their sin is exceedingly grave. I'll go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I'll know. You know, it's, it, it's so easy to judge the heart of somebody, isn't it? Sometimes we don't even have to know and we just see how they dress. And we go, ah, I know their heart. You ever judge a heart just by what you saw with your eyes? Just, you didn't even talk to them, you didn't even know them. See, shall not the judge of all the earth do justly? What's the answer? What's the answer? Shall not the judge of all the earth do justly? What's the answer? A resounding yes. And you know why he can do justly? When you and I cannot always do justly? Why? Because he sees the true heart of every person. See, I would make some bad decisions. Justice would not be true always for me for the simple reason that I can easily be deceived and he is never deceived. God sees the heart of every person in the world and because he can see it and know it and know the true heart, then he is just to all. 
It is righteousness and justice that is at stake in this passage. That's why he says, I'm not going to hide from Abraham because I want him to not only walk in righteousness and justice, I want him to declare it to his children. So uh, listen to me. If any of you have children... It is your responsibility not only to know the heart of God in righteousness and justice, it's your responsibility to train your children in righteousness and justice. To see that your children love as God loves. By starting with, my heart is equipped and trained and shaped by God's heart. So, this was the key question for Abraham. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? And here's the resounding, yes, he will. The judge of all the earth who knows the true heart of every person will be just. Wrath, not just will be. This is very important when you write this down. Wrath, not just will be. Wrath must be Pour it out on the wicked. Do you know why? Do you know why it must be? Because the judge of all the earth is holy. And the scripture declares all of us have sinned and fall short of his glory. But we do not live in that holiness. And because we do not, the wages of sin is death. We will justly all get exactly, we must, because he's just, get what we deserve death. But you know this as well? Wrath not just won't be, wrath cannot be. It cannot be poured out on the righteous. In the same way that it must be on the wicked, it cannot be on the righteous. And it cannot be on the righteous because he, the Father, made him the Son who knew no sin. Jesus of Nazareth lived a perfect sinless life in order to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Where? In him. In other words, if you can have your eyes, please. All of us have sinned, right? Do you admit that? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Every person has sinned and therefore we deserve death. But Jesus, who did not deserve death because he had never sinned, became our substitute. He took the sin that we deserved upon himself so that this great exchange would happen. He would take our sin and he would then wrap us in his righteousness. So that if you are in Christ, that you have believed in him as Abraham had believed in him and it was credited to him as righteousness, that the wrath of God that we do deserve cannot be poured out on us because Christ Christ has taken it on our behalf. You are wrapped if you are in Christ. You are wrapped in his righteousness. So that if you've believed in him, when he sees you, he does not see your sin. He doesn't see your thoughts that you go, oh Lord, please don't see that. He doesn't see what you do in secret. You know what he sees? Oh, he can see that. But you know what he sees? It's not that he can't see it. You know what he sees? He sees the righteousness of Christ. And so the wrath that you and I deserve 
it can't be poured out on us because we have been declared, made righteous in Christ. So, your eyes? Does the Lord know your heart? He does. He knows whether you're trying to clean yourself up and just come to church or watch church or become a better person, but not submit to him, not yield to him and believe in him. And if all you're trying to do is make yourself a better person and clean yourself up and not cuss as much as you used to cuss and do better than you used to do, you are still in your sin and wrath must be, not just will be, it must be poured out upon you. But if you have believed in Jesus to be your sin bearer, if you have acknowledged that you can never be good enough, that you have cried out to him and said, I believe you have paid my penalty, then you are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ and it cannot be poured out. Wrath will never fall upon you. This is when if you were a dancer, you should dance. There is no greater exchange than the exchange of my guilt that deserves the wrath of God for the righteousness of Christ so that the Apostle Paul can declare that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are where? In Christ Jesus. Shall not the judge of all the earth do justly? Yes, he will pour out his wrath upon those who do not believe, but those who do believe and are who are in Jesus. There is now no condemnation. Why? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death because, as Rebecca declared it, I've trusted in him who conquered sin, who conquered death. For what the law could not do, weeks it was through the flesh, God did. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, but not sinful, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that you and I might be the righteousness of God in him. That is the gospel. And it's true in Jacksonville, and it's true to the ends of the earth. Shall not the judge of all the earth do justly? Yes, he will. It must be poured out on the wicked, and it cannot be poured out on the righteous. But you know what? But I don't think Abraham knew until he walked away from this conversation. This was his core question. Are you going to be just, God? Oh, yeah, I'll be just. What, what I don't think Abraham knew until this conversation is that God is merciful. Is he just? Yes. Is he merciful? <laughs> Folks, we don't, we don't gather today unless God is merciful. God is merciful. How merciful? I'll not destroy it on the account of 10. 10. 
that's how merciful. I, 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 think, I think Abraham was like, oh, 50? Wow, yeah, 50, 45? Whoa, 40, 30, 20, 10? By the time the Lord walked away, having spoken to Abraham, Abraham's left standing there gone. He is more merciful than I ever imagined. So an interesting question. My wife was here on Thursday night and she said, you made the point that God was merciful, but then he destroyed Sodom. What's up with that? <laughs> Doesn't seem very merciful if he went ahead and destroyed Sodom. Was he merciful? A fair estimate of the amount of time that righteous lot, and we'll talk about righteous lot next week, a fair guess, the amount of years that righteous Lot lived in Sodom is about 20. 20 years. This wicked city had a righteous man living in it. And the Lord said, if in those 20 years, that's become 10 I won't destroy it. That's merciful. Now, I'll come back to that in a moment. But understand what is happening here that God is teaching Abraham that the righteous are a preserving influence. The righteous, the Lord is demonstrating if the righteous are present, uh, I will preserve. For what? Well, before I answer that, the preserving influence, the, the metaphor that Jesus uses is that the righteous are what like, are like what as a preservative? Salt. You're the salt of the earth. Jesus says, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. We are preserving influence as long as we live in, in righteousness. As we live that out, we are preserving influence. But when we lose that saltiness, we lose our preserving influence and, and what happens outside the city underfoot. I don't know that this is exactly what's happening, but if you know some of the next chapter, Genesis 19, Lot and his wife leave and she looks back and what happens? The one who was saltless had no longer been a preserving influence on the city, becomes a pillar of salt, or in my estimation, a reminder of who she had not been in the city. God turns it into a pillar outside the city. That's a little bit into 19. But he preserves because of the righteous. I want you to think about that for your family. Some of you may be the only 
believer in your entire family. Or your family may be the only believing family in an entire broader family. I want us to think about that as a church in this community, in this city. Or the broader church in this world. We are the salt of the earth. We are the preserving influence. But when we, the righteous, lose our saltiness, we become useless. And the uselessness uh, our preserving is no longer happening. That's what, that's what occurs in Sodom. Think about that for our, our country. Think about that for our world and who we are as those who profess believing wrapped in the righteousness of God. It's preserved for a very specific reason. Ezekiel 33, let me show the rest of verse 11 to you. As I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But here's what I take pleasure in, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. You understand that the point of God's preserving of a community, the God preserving of a people because of a small amount of righteous is that through the righteous, the unrighteous might do what? What's the word? Turn, turn, turn back so that the wrath of God must not be poured out upon you. Do you capture that? I wonder, are you tracking through your own story, your own life, your own family, your own workplace, your own neighborhood of why God has placed you there and your role of the heart of God who loves not just the righteous, but he loves all people and he loves them in order that they might be given time to, to turn. This is what we see in the mercy of God, that he places the righteous to be a preserving influence so that, the preser- so that the righteous might be the instruments to accomplish God's desire that the wicked would repent. And so what's our role in that? Can you make somebody repent? You ever tried to get somebody to change their mind? <laughs> Can you make somebody repent? No. Oh, I've known people who have done it for the sake of other people just so they'll get them off their back. Please stop. Okay, I'll just say what you want me to say. But can I genuinely make someone change their heart toward God? Can I genuinely make someone change their heart towards themselves that that I do deserve the wrath, but I believe that Jesus has taken that wrath for me? I I can't make that. But what is my role? The Lord is not slow about his promises, as comes out slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for anybody to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's his heart. And God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he has committed us. What's he committed to us? The the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God was making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Turn, turn, turn. Do you see the picture here? What God is saying to Abraham? 
I love the righteous and the wicked. I take no pleasure in the wicked perishing. I will do justly. The wrath will be poured out if they don't turn. But Lot has been there in order that is a preserving influence. He might be an ambassador so that those who hear and those who live there would hear, hear the appeal of God through him begging, turn. But a little preview didn't happen. It didn't happen. crazy question occurred to me this morning. I was meditating on this text again. If Lot would have been known, hey, I'm going to burn this place to the ground in 20 years unless there's 10 or more righteous. You got 20 years. Wow. I wonder if he would have lived differently. Did you, did you follow me there? If when he had moved to Sodom and been told, hey, 20 years from now, this place is going to get burned, fire and burn, so, uh, unless there's 10 or more righteous, then I'll spare it. I wonder if he would have lived differently. And what if you and I moved into our neighborhoods and went, I don't know how many times, how much months or years I have, but at some point, judgment's going to come. And have I been the ambassador that God has called me to be in this place, in my neighborhood, or at my work, or with my family, that they would say, hey, you can't change my heart, but I, I know you have begged as God has made the appeal through you, that, that you have begged that I would be reconciled to God. You tracking with me? See, it's, it's a word of reconciliation. It, it, it requires not only that we would live out the righteousness that we would be wrapped in, but that we would speak then the hope that there is in Jesus because I cannot change my mind. A person will not change their mind unless they hear something through us that would cause them to go, I've thought wrongly about myself. I've thought wrongly about Jesus. I change my mind. I turn and I believe. What an incredible privilege. Do you understand the privilege that we have to be not only a preserving influence in our families, in our communities, at our workplace, but we have the privilege of being the voice that says, the wrath must fall, but it won't fall, it can't fall if you will believe. See, I think it's, it's a fair question for everyone of to ask ourselves. Has anybody turned to the Lord through the testimony of my life and my words? Now, it's ultimately up to the Lord, right? But you know what Paul said, Acts chapter 20? He said, you're never going to see my face again, but my hands are clean from those of you who have not believed. Because I, because I spoke. Because I shared. Because I was an ambassador. And if no one has ever turned in the sphere of our influences, 
there's really no one, we have to ask ourselves, have we done our part? Have we accepted the ministry, the word of reconciliation? Or maybe even deeper. Or maybe I'm more just like Abraham. I just care about the righteous. I don't really care about the wicked. Is it that I don't care or that I care, but I, I don't speak? Can you find yourself in that question? Is it that I don't care? Or, or I, I, I do care, I just don't, I don't speak. The goal of our instruction this morning is, is love, is love. Specifically, love for those who have not yet turned. That our, that our hearts would be shaped to love what God loves, the righteous and the wicked. That our hearts would be shaped to love like God loves. That we would speak as he spoke through the sending of his son. That we would be sent as he was sent. You with me? That is, that is what God was wanting to speak to each and every one of our hearts to this morning. That we would love as he loves ambassadors. Sometimes, sometimes when we first meet folks, they're not ready to hear the word of reckon. They're not ready yet to hear the gospel. So, let me train you just briefly for a moment. When you meet somebody who is not yet in relationship with the Lord, I want them to share. I got his play. I want to. I want them to turn. I want to share. But sometimes, and you've heard this before, sometimes they need to know you care before they're willing to listen to you share. So a couple ways for you to specifically express that. The next time you meet somebody who is in the midst of divorce, I want you to say this to him. Well, if you can, I could say this. Man, I know that divorce just crushes and hurts like mad. And our church has a program. It's not church, but it's called divorce care. So it's not like church, but it's designed to help people who are hurting from divorce. I would invite you to participate in it. Or someone who's just lost someone they loved and you know that they're grieving, that you would say to them, hey, we, our, our church has something like, that's called grief share. It's not church, but it's specifically to help those who are grieving loss and how to find hope and help in that. Or someone who's gone, I just don't know about this Christianity thing. The claims of Christ, the Bible, an old book, it all seems old-fashioned. That you wouldn't necessarily have to say, hey, here's the word of reconciliation. You might say, you know, those are good questions. And our church has something called Alpha. It's not church. But it's a place where you can genuinely ask any question that you have. There'll be no judgment. It's a place where people can ask their questions. 
Now, on every single one of those, can I have your eyes here? I say the same thing. Oh, no, it's not church. Now, why do I tell them it's not church? <laughs> because if they wanted to come to church, everybody knows there's a jillion churches around them. But they don't necessarily know that something exists to meet them in their questions, alpha, in their grief, grief share, in their divorce, divorce care. And sometimes they need to know that you care before they will listen to you share. So, friends, maybe, maybe you're like, wow. I, I didn't know that. Thanks for telling me that. I will be ready the next time to share those things. Or the Lord is really speaking to my heart right now. I don't really care. And that's a horrible thing to have to admit ourselves. But we'll never change until we admit present reality. Horrible thing I have to admit is I don't really care. And Lord... Would you change my heart to love who you love? You see, most of you probably know the story of the widow and the woman that Jesus told who, who just harassed the Lord and harassed the Lord, like the persistent widow, the one who just harassed the Lord. And he was like, okay, get her off my back. It's just Jesus telling a story to reflect what Abraham learned that when it comes to the Lord, he is not bothered by your persistent prayers for someone to turn, to turn, to turn. Ever gotten tired of praying for a father, a mother, a sibling, a friend? You're just like, ah. Abraham was like, Lord, just one more time. And the Lord's never like, oh, come on, just get down to it. He's never bothered by your persistent prayers. That those who is placed in your sphere of influence, that they would turn never, never, never. But what he is grieved by, he's grieved that we don't care about those who are still under the wrath of God. That grieves the heart of God. It grieves his heart when his children don't care about what he cares for. You know the story about the dad who had two sons. The older son, obedient. The younger son, a punk. A punk to the degree that he said, dad, I know you're not dead, but that stuff, that inheritance I wanna, I'm going to get when you do die, even though you're still alive, I'd like to have it now. And the dad gives it to him and he runs off and he blows it on partying. And not, not just blows it he, until he is just dirt poor so that he is worse off than the slaves that used to work for his dad. And he finally, he comes to his senses and he goes, what have I done? And he humbles himself and he goes back home and he says, dad, I was a fool. And his dad runs out to him and hugs him. And says, we got to throw a party because my son was lost, but now he's found. He's dead, but he's now alive. 
and the party's going on and the older obedient brother shows up and goes, what's with the party? And he's told your brother's home and your dad threw a party and he refuses to go in and celebrate his younger brother coming home. And dad comes out to him and says, we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost, has been found. Come on in, you have to. And the son refuses. He doesn't care that his brother had come home. But you know what's most compelling about that story? It's why Jesus told it. He told it because the religious people, those who said they love God, began to grumble about Jesus saying, he receives sinners and eats with them. Why'd he tell this story? They'll miss this. He told the story because people who said they were friends of God didn't love the people that God loved. And so church, that story is not nearly about the son who was lost and come home. It's about the brother who didn't care. And that we as a church not be that brother who does not care that there are people lost and dead in their sins or who say we care but never share. You see, the goal of our instruction is, is love. And we love God as we love people, the righteous and the wicked, that we would persistently turn, turn, turn. So I want to invite you to bow with me. And would you, right now in the quietness of wherever you are at home over north here and south would you simply bow and, and invite the Lord to change your heart to love what he loves if that means in honest and brokenness confessing Lord I have not cared I have found pleasure in the death of the wicked. Would you confess that to the Lord? And for those who are still dead in their sins, but in your life, would you with a new heart, a heart like your father's, Heavenly Father's heart, would you pray that they would turn and believe, that they would be a repentance and a believing. Cry out on their behalf.
Father, would you increase our love for those that you love? And would you increase our awareness to how we might be ambassadors for you to the lost? That you have, with fresh eyes, we might understand that you've poured your spirit into our hearts, that Holy Spirit, you dwell within us so that we might speak and live in the power of that spirit that we might live in the righteousness of Christ, that you would send us into this community to be a preserving influence, to be voices of hope and of grace and of the mercy of God. Would we be the church as you intend us to be, living with grace and mercy and the power of of the Spirit. Let our hearts be broken. Let this room be shaken. Let your church awaken to your love. Or if you would sing that with me. Let our hearts be broken Let this room be shaken Let your church awaken To your love While we stand together so be our prayers. We declare this in song. Oh, Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and us with power into the Compassion for the lost love that sent you to the cross. We receive it, we receive it. Jesus, you are worth it all. Let this room be 
So church, I have great news for you. He has sent you with power into the world. It's not something we have to ask of him. It's something he's already declared. I'm sending you with power into the world. You've been equipped this morning to do what? To love. Would you go love in the power of the spirit? All, all those that God places in your path to the praise of his glory. God bless.